Back in on Canuck Central, Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. We're here in the mobile Kintec studio. Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sorefeet, what are you waiting for? We are uh, live from the uh, JCC Sports Dinner here at the Hyatt Regency in uh, downtown Vancouver. And uh, I'm very upset that uh, the person passing around hors d'oeuvres just totally ignored me. Yeah, we, we were completely ignored. Looked like a nice little slider. You know? It did. It did. I, uh, I, I wanted to try one. To were you honest. eyeing it? I definitely was. <laughs> I looked over at Josh. I was expecting him to jump up and grab a couple. <laughs> I'm just kidding, Josh. You don't have to go grab anything. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get some grub sooner rather than later. Canuck Central is for Enzyme Pacific, Vancouver's premier Chrysler, Dodge, Ram, and Jeep Superstore on 2nd Avenue between Camby and Main or at Enzyme Pacific Chrysler. .ca. We'll get to more of your questions coming up in just a little bit. 650-650 on the Dunbar Lumber text message inbox. But let's bring in our next guest joining us on the Dispatch Plumbing, Heating, and Air Conditioning Hotline. It is Kevin Woodley, and he is a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Thanks for this, Woodley. How are you? I'm good, but nobody's passing me hors d'oeuvres either, Reach, so don't feel, <laughs> oh. you know, don't feel slighted in the least. I think anytime people think of media and free food, they... You know, maybe the server's just seen the frenzy that ensues and wants to avoid the ugliness that is our, anybody in our industry around anything free that they can put in their mouth. Uh, well, uh, we're, we're getting served right now, actually, so it's not the, uh, not the end of the world. Thank you so much. This uh, slider looks delicious. Yeah. And uh, we'll, we won't be eating it while we talk to you, Woodley. It's okay. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. Well, just ask yeah. me. Hey, you know how it Dreams goes do come me. True, Like one question, Woodley. you can probably get two sliders in by the time I've answer. <laughs> Uh, that's uh, that's entirely possible, but we'll we'll see how it plays out. Um, it's it's been a pretty interesting stretch here for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, they've lost five of six since the All Star break. Twelve points in in the twelve games. It's been a heavy schedule. They've played a lot of games. They've been on the road a ton, um, but they just they haven't been as sharp, and especially with their puck management, it's. Uh, it's been a bit of a um, a change in what we've become used to, at least from my my stance on on what we've seen from the Vancouver Canucks this year. I don't know that, like the underlying doesn't suggest it's a huge trend overall. I think what we're seeing, and the reason it jumps out is, I, I think it's in moments and the mistakes are glaring. If that makes sense, mm-hmm. so they stand out to us, right? Like, you know, it. You know, I heard a lot of talk about the third period in Pittsburgh or against Pittsburgh last night. The Penguins had one high danger chance and they converted it. Right, like at the end of an extended shift for sure, where they they wore out the Canucks D and tough break for Noah Juleson. You know, great shot block, but off the back and and ends up sort of not really recovering. And then, and this is also tough because uh, you know, talking to Lars Eller after, like he, he said it himself, like you come off the bench. When, it, when you get hemmed in, the player that comes off the bench knows it's really tough for the defense to sort of sort out that new, that new body off a change, and that was him. And he skated right down into the lane. Demko doesn't have a, a stick by that point, and Juleson's in the wrong side of that lane and is at, a, at another attempt for a shot block. Demko looks short side, Juleson's short side as well. It's a layered screen, and, and Eller saw the space and hit it, right? So one high danger chance, one goal. Nobody's at fault other than maybe the fatigue from getting – worked in their own end leading up to it to allow a, you know, a clean change with possession for the Penguins. But, you know, not like Pittsburgh, where they generated most of Like, they, they out-high-dangered the Canucks last night. They out-sort-of-expected goals of them, like, if you look at it. 
most of it was in overtime. It was pretty much an even game up until that point. So I don't know. Sometimes I think the moments and the breakdowns that are there that have you going, oh, like that's looser than we are used to seeing. Um, they stand out because they've been glaring. They've led to rush chances, I think, more than we've seen in the past. But it's not it's not compounding. Like There's not so many of them that their underlying numbers are falling off a cliff here. I, I don't know that it's as bad as it looks, but we feel that way because the results are accompanying it in the wrong direction, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. Like, I'm not... The only thing that sort of I would... Not necessarily, I was going to say panic about, but not necessarily. The only thing I'd be really concerned about is, you know, special teams has fallen off a cliff. PK hasn't been great for a long time. Hopefully Carson Soucy back soon helps with that. Uh, and for the first time all season, the power play, like, that really has truly fallen off a cliff. Yeah, and I think that's... My biggest concern for this team, honestly, would be... The, the special team stuff. We know the PK can be better. We know the, the power play can be better. But it's not as simple as, hey, just figure it out. You have talent, and it's going to improve. We've seen talented power plays fizzle and not figure it out as the season goes on. I think that would be my biggest concern for this team. In terms of goaltending, the only question I would have is, are they able to give Casey DeSmith enough starts to keep Thatcher Demko's workload in the 50-game range as opposed to cresting almost 60 games started? And my answer would be, I hope so, right? Like, I don't know. Um, certainly, it's going to be tempting, especially because, listen, like, first place matters in this division, mm-hmm. right? Like, clearly the matchups, whether anybody's going to say it or not, um, first place matters for this team. Like, you don't, like, I wouldn't want any part of 2-3, especially if Edmonton's the other part of that equation, right? Like, even Vegas, just given how well they played at the Canucks, given the likelihood that some of their key players are back um, come playoff time, you know, I'm not sure you want any part of that. So the temptation because the games are spaced out, because there aren't back-to-backs, might be there. And so I'm, I'm genuinely curious to see whether they can avoid that temptation. I thought we might see Casey DeSmith last night, to be honest with you. Um, you know, but again, when you're coming off, uh, you know, and, and Demko, by the way, like I think he added like one and a half goals safe above expected to his total. Like last night, especially with overtime, like Pittsburgh generated a ton there. Uh, and, and a night where he ends up giving up four, he still uh, was much better than expected. You know, than 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 the sort of environment would would uh, would would suggest most goalies would be. So, um, you know, it's it's a tough one. Here's the thing about Casey DeSmith: like on the season, he has only given up two low percentage goals all year. It's actually one of the better numbers in the entire league. Now, obviously, his workload's smaller than a lot of guys, and the more you play, the more likely you are to sort of have a moment where you, you have a hiccup and you give up a, a low-quality goal, a low-percentage goal. He's only given up two all season. Like, if I were to tell you that at the beginning of the year, that's, what, that's all you ask of your backup, right? Like, that's, that's all you can really ask. Yeah, yeah, hey, listen, seven of eight high-danger chances against Minnesota, you've got to make more saves, but I think the five-on-three and the nature of those, like, you're just that's one of those nights you just got to write off. Um, his numbers, his adjusted stuff has obviously fallen too, you know, but up until his last couple of starts, you know, from sort of mid-December up until the last couple of starts, he was in the top 10 in the league for a long period. Uh, when he's been at his best, what did we talk about when he was really playing well early in the season? They were giving him more starts, and they were getting better hockey out of him. It's tough to do the job he does, right? Like, that is the job, and he'll be the first to tell you that. But it's a much tougher job when you don't play regularly. So I think what you have to avoid here 
um, you know, is is being so worried about recent results that you don't give it to him enough of a chance to show you he can he can be that guy, uh, and and as a result also overwork Demko. Now, like that's the other thing too. Like I know 60 is the magic number, and I know that a lot of teams have talked, including Jim Rutherford at the beginning of the season, if I'm not mistaken, just remembering it correctly. That opening presser, like 55, maybe closer to the ideal. But with the changes Demko's made and how he cha- he trains. If he tells you he's feeling good and you believe in all that, and I'm sure they're measuring, you know, workload and 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 keeping an eye on all this stuff, it's not the end of the world if he plays all those games. Yes, there are a lot of statistics about any, you know, how many goalies win a cup if they play more than 60, and how many goalies that play more than 60 end up in the first round. But also, like, only one goalie wins a cup each season, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and the way the the trend has gone towards lower workloads, like. You, know, you could argue, and listen, I've written plenty of columns about the need to keep the workload down, but you, know, you could also argue that a lot of that can be coincidental over time as well. Yeah, I would. Uh, I think Demko's played, what, 10 of the last 12, or he started 10 of the last 12, and uh, just 22 games left on the season. You'd have to, I think, get, what, Casey DeSmith, eight or nine starts in the next 22 in order to to get Demko uh, in that 56-57 range. So we'll see. we'll see how it plays out. Um, yeah, probably uh, not going to happen, right? But again, yeah. like I, I don't know that you need to sort of set that number. It, it may be an ideal, but it's we don't live in a perfect world, first of all. And second of all, like I, I just, as long as he feels good, as long as the communication is there and you're not playing the wheels off him, and I don't have that sense right now that, that he is wearing down, um, then you're less worried about it. Like certainly it's not like two years ago where – they ran him out there all the time at, you know, and actually I guess probably at a, at a rate that's not that different from now, but you could see that he was wearing out and part of that environment too. Um, you know, like if the night is full of saves, like the one he had to make on Lars Eller in overtime, then you're a little more worried about it. It's been a little more of a regular occurrence of late, but not to the point, at least nothing like what it was two years ago. By the way, that save off Eller, like, it's too bad that nobody picked up Carlson and that Carlson deposited that rebound because that was that was as good as we see. Uh, we do have a little bit of breaking news while uh, while you're here with us, Kevin Woodley. Uh, Frank Saravalli, uh, NHL insider Frank Saravalli, saying sources say Canucks have made significant progress with superstar Elias Pettersson working on what is believed to be an eight-year extension. Not done, but big development and a new deal could be finalized in the coming days. Uh, for all that's been talked about here, Woodley, uh, we haven't had any real movement on news as far as which way a contract may be going. This is the first bit that suggests a contract could be coming around the corner for Elias Pettersson. Well, okay, so before I comment on this, have you guys double-checked that it's the real Frank Cervelli? Yes, we have <laughs> double, yeah, triple, quadruple check. Crap, double, so. double, triple, quadrupled. Yeah, yeah, yeah we have done have a lot of them. followers in a weird spelling. No, it's 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 a legitimate one, actually. Believe it or not, we that's, got the right one. Then that's yeah. Like, and hey, what a positive! Like you know, like that. That's I think the distract. As much as I don't think the distraction should matter, clearly there's not a lot of noise around it. And, I, and by the way, I thought last night was one of Pedersen's best games yeah. in a while. Like he was noticeable. He was dominant. He was controlling play. Uh, he was creating chances for his line mates. Obviously, uh, the cycle leads to to the goal by Huglander, even though he doesn't get the assist on it. Um, you know, it, like that was sort of the Pedersen. Yes, the power play isn't there yet. 
I, I have questions about the split units and, and, you know, you know, anytime Quinn Hughes in the midst of the campaign he's having is not the first one over the boards on, on your power plays. You know, it leaves you with a little bit of a head scratch. Um, but, you know, anything that sort of removes this as a talking point, as a distraction, listen, this kid is fun to watch. I've been doing this for 24 years now. And the number of times we've had a player in this market that's that exciting, like I can count them with my fingers. I don't need my toes. It's probably even on one hand. So the idea that he would commit and stay long-term here, if this report is accurate, these are all positives for the Vancouver Canucks. In a year that has been filled with positives, um, you can add one more to it and everybody can focus on the task at hand, which is the other thing I want to see out of Elias Patterson. Like, remember bubble playoff yeah. Patterson? Right? Like, a lot of people, I, I hear this conversation about what he's going to be like in the playoffs and can mm-hmm. he be a playoff performer. Like, everything I remember from those playoffs is he damn well was. Yeah. And he was younger and less experienced and, and slighter than he is now. So um, I'm excited to see that. And if it's part of an extension that keeps him here long term, like, it, you know, I'm not a Canucks fan. I'm an objective reporter. But for the fan base and the sort of, like, waiting for the next shoe to drop consternation that seems to constantly follow this fan base, this, is, this has got to be exciting news. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's one of those things where there was so little information coming out. In the last few days, everything seemed very hectic about, you know, does he want to leave? Does he want to stay? What's going on with the team? And I just think in terms of where this team finds itself at, if they can get this done with Pedersen and you look at the stability the organization could be having here over the next little bit, it's something that we haven't really been able to see. And then maybe those existential crises about where this team is heading might start calming down a little bit. I mean, listen, there was stability here when Gillis was in charge. Um, And for a lot of years, they were a dominant team. And there was still probably that waiting for the next shoe to drop. Like, I think it's almost baked into the, into the fan base at this point. Um, but maybe at the very least, we can turn the temperature down a few notches on that baking process for a little while. Yeah, and I it's thought like, it was... It's, it's like when Luongo came back, like, the year after yeah. being traded and told me that, um, you know, right before the decision to, uh, to ask out the, the Heritage Classic, the non-start that sort of was the final straw... You know, him and his wife were looking at houses because they'd accepted that with Schneider gone, he was going to be the guy here and they were going to move back and he was going to commit himself to Vancouver long term. And that there was a little part of him that wishes he'd been able to do that. To which I responded, there was always going to be a next Heritage Classic for you in this market, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so we'll move on to the next. I hate to say it, but in the meantime, (laughs) to lock up a superstar like Elias Patterson, if indeed the reports prove true in the next couple of days. And to have that cost certainty heading into the trade deadline, positives all around, as I said, in a year full of them. Woodley, uh, always appreciate your time. Thanks for this today. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the free food. Yes, always. <laughs> always. <laughs> a little jealous. Uh, he is Kevin Woodley, our goalie guru in Goal Magazine at NHL.com, joining us via the Dispatch Plumbing Heating and Air Conditioning Hotline, the first call. The only call. Kevin Woodley, a presentation of White Rock Hyundai. Visit the showroom on King George in White Rock or whiterockhyundai.com. So we are reacting. We are texting. We are trying to find out any bits of news that we may be able to garner on 
this latest development from Frank Saravalli, um, friend of the show, of course, and Frank mentioning and reporting. Sources say Canucks have made significant progress with superstar Elias Pettersson working on what is believed to be an eight-year contract extension. Not done, but big development, and a new deal could be finalized in the coming days. Uh, as we like to joke around here, Sat, sometimes it just takes one call to change things. It appears, should Frank's report be true, it appears that one phone call was recently made to get the wheels turning on an Elias Pettersson extension. My biggest surprise right now is that they're actually talking about an eight-year extension. Because yeah. everything we had heard, and, and, and listen, I'm, I'm happy. I'd love to see them sign him to an eight-year extension. Yep. We were talking yesterday that uh, if he signed, I thought it was going to be a short-term deal. And we'll see. I mean, it's not done yet. But I, I thought it would be a shorter-term deal. And er, my conversations with people uh, around the team had been, if something gets done, it may very well likely be, because that seemed to be the preference of the player, that yeah. if he's signing, it's probably going to be a shorter-term deal. That's something Friedman reported a few months back as well. That's, that's maybe where they were at. But as we were discussing yesterday, could it have been one of the things Pedersen is considering here is he's trying to figure out, does he want to go short-term or long-term? And until you figure that out, are you going to start talking contract earnestly with the team? And what's the point of you talking? Like, we literally said this yesterday. Until yeah. you know you want shorter long-term, why would you get far into contract talks? Yeah. Figure that out first, and then... And then make your decision. Then get that started. And maybe... And we'll see if it, it, this happens. It's a report by Frank. And, yeah. You know, Frank's usually on top of these things. But that's something that I would be surprised at. And honestly very happy to see like yes. i'd be delighted to see them getting him done to an eight-year deal uh, it would be a massive development for the canucks and they're planning over the next little while and certainly they're planning going into the next 10 days and of course march the 8th trade deadline my thing about this has always been the same players when they know they want to sign they get it done they call their agent they say let's get a deal done yeah and the agent gets on the horn with the GM, the front office, and they hammer it out. There's not a ton of negotiating that has to go on here. You figure out, if, if Pedersen indeed wants to stay for eight years, you figure out what the total money's going to be. $96 million this has been reported. All right, I'm good with that. You're good with that. Cool. Let's figure out signing bonus money next. Yeah. And that's the hardest part of the negotiation. The Canucks have rolled out the red carpet. They've said, we're willing to pay Pedersen. We want to talk. We want to get this done. The holdup has always been from Pedersen's side. That's certainly been made clear by the Canucks front office and essentially by Pedersen himself yeah. when he said, I'd like to wait until the offseason. I'd like to continue waiting on this. So once that changed it appears it could have changed everything. Now, if we are talking about an eight-year deal for Elias Pettersson, which Frank Saravalli is reporting, we're talking big money. What's been reported in the past, Canucks had tabled at least a verbal offer of some kind in the range of $12 million per season. We'll see if that's end up if that ends up what it might be. All right, so uh, we're supposed to do overrated, underrated. Yeah. This exact same thing happened um, la a couple weeks back when you were away. Remember you went to Mexico? Yes. And the Canucks made us trade. It was on a Wednesday. Yeah. And we were had, we had overrated, underrated coming up. Yeah. And just before, there, were buzz, there was the buzz that the Canucks were close to acquiring Elias Lindholm. So we said we have to push overrated, underrated to tomorrow. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean we're going to 
get confirmation on Pedersen, but I don't think we can sit here, have a conversation about overrated, underrated with this going on right now. Yeah. What do you say we push it to tomorrow? I think that's a good idea. It's All probably right. a good choice uh, by you, <laughs> Sat. Well, it was a team decision. Uh, team decision, yes. Um, okay, so overrated, underrated. Uh, we're going to table that for now, put it on the shelf, and we'll see what happens because we'll continue talking about a potential eight-year extension for Elias Pettersson coming around the corner per Frank Valley. It's Dan Richo, Satyar Shah. You are listening to Canuck Central. We're back in on Canuck Central. It's Dan Richo and Satyar Shaw. As uh, we are in the mobile Kintec studio. Kintec, Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sore feet, what are you waiting for? We're here at the uh, JCC Sports Dinner at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Vancouver. Uh, the Community of Champions celebrating professional and local athletes. The RBC JCC Sports Center raises much-needed funds to provide scholarships and programs for members of the community who wouldn't otherwise have access to these services. The RBC JCC Sports Center, an annual charity event which raises money for the JCC of Greater Vancouver. Dan Richo and Satyar Shah continuing to react to uh, the latest on Elias Pettersson. Frank Saravalli has sent out his report, and it has sent everybody into a frenzy. And I'm sure a very happy frenzy because, look, I, I, I don't care. Uh, I, I'm not sure how other people feel about this. I know where you probably stand on it. An eight-year extension for Elias Pettersson with the Vancouver Canucks, that's a win for the Vancouver Canucks. If it's $96 million, if it's $100 million, I still think it's a win for the Vancouver Canucks to get Patterson on an eight-year term, as Frank Saravalli reported. Yeah, and even Frank himself said it's not done yet, and there's work to be done and hope to be finalized in the coming days, which means it's not yet done. So I yeah. think we all have to kind of, you know, uh, it's, it's exciting, of course, for fans that want to get him signed, but we still have to wait for more to drop. Do you have something else to drop? Uh, I do. It's not Canucks-related. Well, maybe Canucks-related. Um Elliot Friedman just reporting that uh, Calgary and Dallas are working on a Tanev trade. A Tanev trade, ah. uh, which we had pondered quite a bit. Uh, Calgary and Dallas working on a Chris Tanev deal, developing dot 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 from Elliot Friedman. So things are happening around the National Hockey League. Sat ten days out or nine days out from the trade deadline yeah uh, Tanev would be a big win for the Dallas Stars as we've discussed that had kind of been the buzz the last few days um you know Elliot mentioned Tanev I'm sorry Dallas were the front runners for Tanev and the question really just came down to are they willing to give up a first round pick for it yeah and maybe Dallas is and why wouldn't they like I think Dallas is essentially at one top four defenseman short of being maybe the scary one of the scariest teams Yep. As in terms of a cup contender. I think sleep at, sleep on, don't sleep on the stars. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. If they get Tanev too, that's going to be pretty scary. Uh, looks as though they are uh, going to get Chris Tanev per Elliot Friedman. But the bigger news locally, as much as Chris Tanev was uh, on the Canucks trade wish list, how realistic was it? 
We've discussed that in the past. Dallas is the front runner and maybe is closing in on a deal for Chris Tanev. So take that off the trade board for the Vancouver Canucks in the next nine days ahead of trade deadline. Yeah, and, and as far as, um, you know, the whole Elias Pettersson thing is, I don't, the team I don't think is going to be commenting much this next little bit here. Radio silence is probably the way that it's going to work until something is done. Yeah, uh, so it'll be pretty quiet. Uh, I'm trying to reach out. I had a conversation with somebody uh, who said, I'm not quite sure, but didn't tell me, you know, it's not happening or it is happening for sure. Um, but but I do think the eight-year term, if that ends up being what he signs for, again, is the biggest, most surprising aspect of this if he does sign and signs an eight-year deal. And, and I think that would be tremendous if he actually does sign for an eight-year deal. I know fans have some concerns about, you know, the AAV, what, what it's going to be at and everything. But as we discussed before, Pedersen's 25 years old. Yeah. He's going to get better as a player. He will get stronger as a player. In a few years, that contract's going to look better, especially if the cap keeps going up. Of course, there's a risk that comes with it, but I'm not uncomfortable betting on that talent. So whatever the AAV is going to come down in, whether it's 11, close to 12, it doesn't scare me. Yeah. I think he's a guy that's going to be able to live up to it. Um, you know, back-to-back 100-point seasons. Guys don't <laughs> – guys like that don't grow on trees, okay? Pedersen hasn't played his best hockey lately, but guys that play like him, that score like him, that defend like him when he's on his game, they just don't – they don't exist around the league. Yeah. He got a draft in the top five just like Pedersen was drafted, fifth overall in 2017. You don't find them. You don't trade for them. You don't find them in free agency because – they just don't make it to free agency. Yeah. Players of that caliber do not make it to free agency. Players of top five centerman potential, top ten center potential, top ten defenseman potential, they never get to free agency. They get a year out from free agency. If they don't sign with their current team, they get traded to another team, and then they sign with them. So uh, who's the most recent exa- Alex Pietrangelo is, is the most recent example of a defenseman, yeah. a high-caliber defenseman making it to free agency. It doesn't happen all that often. Damon Severson last year is like a year out. No, he's getting traded. He's getting signed to a big contract before he gets to free agency. So these things, they tend to work out. You don't find them in free agency, and it looks to be developing that way for Elias Pettersson right now with the Canucks. I... I I can't put these two things separately, Sat. Yeah. In the open today, we discussed JT Miller popping off and how good he's been for the Vancouver Canucks. And we also discussed in the roundup Rick Tockett being asked about Elias Pettersson, mm-hmm. his play recently saying it's been okay, and also being asked whether or not he thinks the outside noise around Elias Pettersson's contract, if it's affecting his play. And his opinion on the matter was, yes, he's human. I, I, I don't feel it's a coincidence that these things are happening at the same time. When I say that's only one call away, and maybe I should be careful because it is just a report from Frank Saravalli and no other NHL insider has has backed it up as of yet. But Frank's usually pretty good on these things. I have a hard time believing he would be reporting something that is that far away from actually happening. My point on this is 
I wonder if the noise got to a point where Elias Pettersson was like, I don't want to go into the playoffs like this. I don't want things to continue like this. I do just want to focus on hockey. My initial feeling was this would be a distraction for me, but it turns out not having a deal is also a distraction right now. I think that that's part of it, but I also think it's if he signed, I think it's simply him finally getting to the point of figuring out what he wanted. Right. Because, again, to me, if he signs a long-term deal, that tells me that not only is he committed to what's going on here, but he's so bought into what's happening that he wants to commit a long-term deal. That, to me, is the big point here if he signs a long-term deal. Because a short-term deal, again, what had kind of been the expectation in the last little while that the commitment was probably not going to be an eight-year commitment, that there was still some concern, or not concern, or perhaps some thought that let's see what happens in a few years. I'm not sure if I want to spend eight years in Vancouver. Is this spot I want to be in? And perhaps doing a shorter-term deal would have been an easier bridge to figuring that out in a few years. If he signs an eight-year deal, all this thought about, hey, he, he doesn't like it here. He, I'm not sure he wants to stay here. I'm not sure he, he likes playing with some of these guys. There's some issues here w- w- with what's happening. I think that stuff just flies out of the window, and it shows you that he's very comfortable being in Vancouver, and this is the place he wants to be. And I think that would be a pretty big departure from the information vacuum we've been living in the past yeah. little while and the fact that he hasn't been a soft and cuddly guy. He doesn't give away a lot. He's said he wants to be patient. He doesn't, you know, reinforce his desires for the team and, and the organization. And if he signs an eight-year deal, that speaks louder than any quote you can give to yeah. anybody in the media. Well, that's what I was just saying earlier this week. Um, you know, words are words until an actual contract is signed. We've heard players in the past say that, you know, I want to be here forever. I want to stay here and they end up leaving. It doesn't have to be hockey. There's not a ton of examples in hockey, but John Tavares is one where he very clearly said, I want to be a New York Islander. Um, I, I love being an Islander. I want to play here. All of that. And then he skipped off in an unrestricted free agency. Yeah. So words are words until a – words are only words until a contract is signed, as far as I'm concerned. Whatever has been said in the media or in the past in any interviews – it's nice, it's great, makes you feel warm and fuzzy feelings, but if a contract isn't signed, then you are left to feel otherwise. And it appears as though this was more just Pedersen figuring things out on his own end as far as what his future, what he wants his future to be, how long he wants it to be in Vancouver, and that is still developing as as Frank Saravalli even says in his report. We're still, they're still working on a deal, but it could be finalized in the coming days. I wonder if it is close at, like, how quickly they try to hammer it out because Canucks play the L.A. Kings tomorrow. I, I assume they'd guard Pedersen from speaking to the media at practice or at the morning skate, but if he has a big game, he's got to come out to the media and talk about it, right? Yeah, so, yeah. but, I mean, at the same time, is this a distraction point? Let's just say, for instance. I'm not saying it's a distraction point, but if he doesn't want to be asked about it, now that the report is out there, you better hammer out the details because yeah. you're going to get asked about it the next time you're available to the media. I think if you got a point where you feel like a deal is close, yeah, I, you know what I mean? I think you can kind of either make a joke about it or right, get by, right, by yeah. on it, and I think you're, you're, you're settling this and you're finally over it. You've decided what you're doing. If we're at that point, the issue to me would be, Dan, that, hey, this was premature and we haven't made this type of progress. Yeah. Why hasn't this progress been made? 
that to me would be the bigger thing. And I'm hoping it doesn't happen because, again, we haven't had confirmation and I've been trying to get confirmation. All I know is speaking to some people with the team that they're not going to be commenting on the Pedersen situation at the moment is essentially what I got. Yeah. So, obviously, Frank has ties. Doesn't mean he doesn't have them with the team. You know, very well could. Uh, he obviously has ties elsewhere as well. You take a step like this, usually you feel pretty good about it. We've had Frank on this show uh, over the years, and when he steps out like this, usually he's right about things, right? So uh, hopefully he is, and hopefully this gets done, and we can move on. And somebody texted in and said, can we now start talking about a heroic trade now? How are we going to fit all these guys under the cap? Can we just, can we just like not talk about trading away Canucks <laughs> players for a day? Uh, maybe maybe for a day. We can we can talk about acquisitions and who they won't be acquiring. That is Chris Tanev, uh, Frank Saravalli, and Elliot Friedman now reporting that the Calgary Flames are getting a second-round pick, so they don't get the first-round pick they were holding out for, a prospect, and an additional conditional pick in exchange for Chris Tanev. So Craig Conroy is uh, building out his stable of assets uh, with – Another trade. They've moved on uh, from now Chris Tanev, Elias Lindholm, Nikita Zadorov, and the Flames uh, could continue to be working on the trade market with Noah Hannafin still a big ticket trade piece that they have ahead of next Friday's deadline. So, what we know is the Canucks were involved in, in Tanev discussions. Now, how far down the road they got on that and how close they got, I'm not quite sure. Could I see the Canucks have been willing to offer a second? Yeah, I think they could have offered a second. Yeah. Would they have been willing to offer a prospect? I think some level of prospect. Obviously, not Willander, not Lakiramaki. And it depends on what they got in return. But if it's something along the lines of it would have taken put Coles in in a second or put Cole, or a second in Ratu, would you have done that for a rental in Tanev? I um, I have a hard time doing that for Tanev right now. And Only- I think that's something you would probably would have had to done. And maybe yeah. the Canucks offered something like that, and and the Stars offered a better prospect or like the Stars prospect better. But it would have it would have had to involve, I think, some a prospect like that to even get close to making this deal. Uh, a couple of texts coming in. Rager asking where did Tanev go? It appears he is going to the Dallas Stars from the Calgary Flames. Another Canucks couldn't make that deal for Tanev, as Sat just mentioned. You know, you're you're sort of looking at a second round pick, a future second round pick. The Canucks don't have one uh, for this year right now, so it would be a future second rounder plus a prospect. And the reason I say Canucks probably can't do that, you've spent a lot of assets already, but on top of that, there's just no room on your defense. Like, you'd have to move a salary out. You'd have to move a Zadorov out or a Mikheyev or whomever it might have been in order to fit Tanev into the fold. So it would have taken a lot of moving pieces. And once they made the move for Zadorov, it made the possibility of acquiring Chris Tanev that much more difficult for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah. Once you make that Zadorov move, it didn't rule out the possibility of acquiring Chris Tanev. It just made it a lot more difficult for the Vancouver Canucks. Yeah, and cap-wise, you're right. Now, I think I think there's a way you can make it work where you, if you got to retain half, I think the biggest issue would have been the cap side of it as opposed to yeah. the asset side of it, right? If you had to move a contract out to get Tanev, that means you would have had to pay an extra fee to get... If you weren't going to move a contract, you had an extra fee to get Calgary to retain. Yeah. And that's what complicates things, right? And 
we'll see what else they add on the blue line. I've mentioned with Seattle, and if they get out of the playoff race, is Justin Schultz a defenseman that you can kind of knock the door on? We saw him last night. Chad Ruido is yeah. a depth defenseman, righty defenseman. It's not as sexy. He's you know probably maybe not even playing every day on your team, but he provides you legitimate depth. He's been on playoff teams. He's played playoff games. He's he's played tough minutes at times. He's been a depth guy that gives you a little something. Doesn't make a lot on the cap. I think it's under a million bucks. Do you look in that type of market now for the defenseman as opposed to going after a bigger ticket item? I think that's sort of what you're looking at on defense. Uh, for as much as you're looking at all your options on the trade market, I still think, like, is it more likely than not that the Canucks make a big splash or smaller splash at the deadline? They've already made their big splash. It's Elias Lindholm. Could I see them making another big move? I would say it's more likely than not they do add more of the depth pieces from from here, Sat, rather than another big move. Not that it's impossible for them to make that big move. It's just more likely they make moves that can improve the team around the edge. Yeah, although I do think the forward market that they might be dipping into, especially now that Tanev is gone, because I think they were looking at, can we do Tanev? Like we mentioned yesterday, I think in an ideal world, could you pull off Tanev and a top six defense, and top six forward? Now, that's a lot. It's difficult. But I think that tells you they're willing to part with a few assets. Yeah. Do you shift your focus now entirely to find a depth defenseman, then find maybe a more impact forward? Yeah. So I, I, wouldn't, I, I wouldn't close the door on them adding another impact guy. Because I look at the forward group now, and especially if you want to have Lindholm, Pedersen, and Miller on separate lines playing center, you kind of need one more forward. Yeah. I still think the you know maybe the the Thomas Novak type deal where you get a player who has upside with a very cheap contract relative to you know a guy who was close to a point a game last year making less than a million bucks on his current contract. I mean that could be something that works for the Vancouver Canucks. Could Jake Gensel be on the table though? I mean it just seems it seems too much for them to pull off a Jake Gensel type deal. Does their mindset change if they have Elias Pettersson locked into a long-term deal as is being reported today by Frank Saravalli? I mentioned it yesterday. I think it could play a factor if he wasn't signed, but now that it appears Pettersson is going to be locked into a long-term deal, you're pretty comfortable in knowing your window is probably open over the next three years as long as you've got Pedersen, Miller, Demko, Hughes all in the fold. Putting pieces around them for the next couple of years should be the priority, not just strengthening for this one run through the playoffs. Yeah, and what all the other decisions you make in the offseason become really fascinating now in terms of what type of commitments you're looking for, what type of players you're looking to sign, how even a guy like Elias Lindholm is going to fit in with the team now that you're you know, maybe on the verge of giving Elias Pettersson a big long-term contract extension. And I do think if they are still able, because of how well they played this year, to add another impact guy, I don't think signing Pedersen will preclude them from doing so. Because sometimes you also look at it as, look at the strength of the entire National Hockey League this year. Yeah. The Canucks and how they rank against the best teams. There seems to be a bit of a window this year to do something, right? Like somebody texted in and said, the Stars who just got Chris Tanev made it to the conference final minimum, right? Uh, the other, this other text said, um, 
if not Vancouver, glad it's Dallas, not Edmonton for Tanev. So it's, you look at Dallas, and you're like, okay, that's a team that looks really scary now, prolific. But they're also playing the same division as Colorado. You knew at some point you're playing Dallas or Colorado, right? But as long as you know you take care of business, you're not facing one of those teams until the conference final. Yeah. The fact that Tanev didn't go to Edmonton is a key point by the texter. Yeah. I do think for this year, too, so you don't look at it and say you're in an arms race, but you still look at it and say, okay, that's a team that didn't get Tanev. And if we can still make our team even better than what we had, do we become the clear-cut favorites in the Pacific Division? Because I think right now, I think right now the, the Canucks are in the position where they are the favors, the favorites in the Pacific. We look at Vegas and say, what if they make trades? What if Stone gets healthy and Eichel is good to go for the playoffs? They can still be very formidable. People look at Edmonton and say this could be their year. But they didn't get Tanev. They're probably not getting a big impact defenseman. If you add a top six guy to what you have this year, not that you punch your ticket to the Western Conference Final, but the path may not be much better than what it is currently in, in future years. With Vegas hurt, I, I mean, Edmonton's just going to be such a tough out. If Edmonton gets uh, Jake Gensel somehow, that would be a big development for them. It's a good point by the texter. Tanev going to Dallas. Probably uh, not a huge win for Vancouver, but a preferred destination over one of their divisional rivals. I wanted to see him go to, like, Tampa, to be honest. Just get yeah. him out of conference. That would have been fine. Go to Tampa, a team that you're not even sure is going to get that far. That would have been the perfect destination. Like, I do think Dallas getting Tanev, and we spoke about this a couple weeks back, and they get Tanev, what's stopping them from being maybe the best team in the West in the yeah. playoffs? Because of how they play. Now you have another top four defenseman. They were literally missing one top four guy on the right side, too. Um, another note on the Tanev deal. It appears as though the Flames will be retaining 50% of Chris Tanev's contract. Really curious to find out who that prospect might be heading along with the second-round pick um, because that does feel like... Um, it feels like... it's uh, So Friedman says the prospect is Artem Grushnikov. Okay. There it is. Uh, I don't know much about Artem Brushnikov, but we'll find out. He's a 20-year-old Russian prospect. I can tell you that much. Okay. I, I just... And he was know. also taken uh, in the second round in 2021. I expected the Flames to get more, especially if they were retaining. Like, they didn't get the first-round pick. It must uh, mean that Calgary, A, this was the best deal on the table, according to them, and B... Uh, they just weren't getting the first-round pick that they had hoped for for Chris Tanev, which is wild considering what some rental defensemen have been traded for in the past. He's a defenseman, but it looks like the type of defenseman who's more of a defensive type. Yeah. You know, he's just looking at his AHL numbers this year, 44 games, 5 points, has some penalty minutes, yeah. has some size, lefty defenseman. So they're probably banking on him being a steady, physical it, defenseman. Uh, it probably doesn't help their case that, they, that so many of the top contenders that may have been in on Tanev don't have first-round picks to trade. Tampa, Toronto, Boston, like none of those teams But the have fact that Dallas still got them to retain as well and they traded a second, now there's a, win. there could be a conditional pick involved in this as well from yeah. what we hear and other things involved here, but um, it doesn't look like the steepest price. No. Let me just put it that way. But the biggest news, Elias Pettersson, potentially – Signing on long-term with the Vancouver Canucks per Frank Valley. We'll continue to break this down and bring you any developments. We are live from the JCC Sports Center at Stan Richo and Satyar Shah. 
from the Mobile Kintec studio on Sportsnet 650. Final segment of Canuck Central. It's San Rico and Satyar Shah here. Live in the mobile Kintech studio. Kintech, Canada's favorite orthotics provider. Supported by over five, by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sorfeet, what are you waiting for? As uh, we are here at the Hyatt Regency in downtown Vancouver. And uh, we are joined tableside by upcoming Olympian Phil Kim uh, in the breaking. Yes. Uh, the new category, the new event coming yeah. to the Olympics at Paris of uh, 2024 summer. Yeah, yeah. Brand new sport. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you. Uh, it's, uh, it's pretty wild. It's, uh, you know, um, I, I got I to gotta know more because I'm not, I'm not the biggest breaking uh, yeah. guy. You know, I, I know, I've seen people break dance before. I don't break dance myself. Yeah. I've seen some of your videos knowing you were going to come on today. Uh -huh. It's pretty incredible what you're able to do. Thank you very much. Um, tell us more about being an Olympian and, you know, qualifying for the olympics this yeah summer. yeah it's been an exciting journey very different i will say completely mm -hmm. honestly like breaking is definitely more of a cultural thing and so going into the sport world has been very new for us uh, but a lot of positive change a lot of great opportunities like being here with rbc at the jcc dinner um but yeah it's it's been an exciting time a lot of changes honestly i'm just taking it as i go right there's been a lot of stuff going on and and life's a bit hectic but i'm enjoying the ride so where did the passion for breaking start so it actually started here in Vancouver. I saw breaking on the street, um, and I was a kid. I was like 11 years old walking by. When I saw it, it was the first time I ever saw breaking live. They were spinning on their heads. They were doing all these <laughs> crazy movements. And I remember when I saw it, the first thing I thought was like, oh, I can get girls if I do this. Like, people will think I'm cool, you know? <laughs> right, right. Um, and then when I started taking classes, that's when I just, like, fell in love with it. It was the physical difficulty. It was the creative aspect, and the mix of both just has kept me going. Um, you, you mentioned it's it's a cultural thing too. How do you mix, you know, the the two being a, 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 an Olympic athlete and also the cultural side of it? Yeah, it, it's been a, it's been I don't want to say a challenge, but it's been an interesting process in the last year. Um, it's a very different, like even going to the Olympic qualifying events, the mm. way they're structured and stuff is quite different than what we're used to uh, culturally. Um, but I think having both is really really interesting and a good balance. Like going to the more, especially last year, all the Olympic qualifying events, right. it's super intense, super high performance. Um, and it's pushed me to grow a lot. And then going to the cultural side is, is kind of where I come from. So those are the events where I'm with my friends. We're all hanging out, right. uh, having a good time as well. Have you had a desire in the past in thinking about maybe they, they would allow breakdancing to be part of the Olympics? Like, would, Did you ever have dreams of being an Olympian in different ways? No, I've been honestly completely honest about this. I didn't really grow up watching the Olympics. Like, I, breaking was my sport. Like, that's <laughs> all I ever, I was religiously watching that. So when it was announced into the Olympics, I actually wasn't competing at the highest level at the time. And so I didn't even think I would be a part of it. But as the qualification process came, um, it, it became along in my path. And it was kind of a new dream that, that happened for me. How do you prepare for the Olympics? Uh, for me, my motto has always been like stay ready so you don't have to get ready. So I just love breaking. I love being in the studio. I love training. I love working with my trainer. Um, and so I'm always trying to train and keep in peak condition uh, at all times. So I'm always trying to stay at the highest uh, uh, physical condition as well as mental condition um, going into the Olympics. So even now, like for me, I'm always ready. If someone tells right. me you have to break right now, if I'm on the street and someone tells me to break, like I want to be ready. That's kind of my mentality. And I mean, there's like a combination of athleticism and the whole creative aspect of things but I guess at the highest level it's, it's very much like any professional athlete you have to be at the peak physical conditioning level yes, right yeah it's an interesting thing where 
uh, breaking, like when you're going to something at the Olympics, you know everyone's at the top of their game yeah. physically. So it just comes down to whose day it is, who's mentally ready that day. And honestly, a lot of it is vibe. So a lot of it is just who's feeling it that day more, who wants it more, who has the crowd, who has the energy, who is able to, to bring something new as well. Because uh, breaking is very spontaneous. So we don't know what music's going to be played. It's a DJ just playing music randomly. And so you have to adjust to that uh, moment. So who captures that moment as well? Uh, so we're here at the RBC JCC Sports Dinner, and we're raising money uh, for you know young athletes to get scholarships and programs where they are needed. And I'm sure as an, as a, an upcoming Olympian, you know, like it can get expensive to to help you prepare. And I'm sure that's part of the reason you're here supporting tonight. Yeah, definitely. I think this is such a great great opportunity. I think being an Olympian now, uh, it, which is which is cool to be able to say, but being an <laughs> Olympian now just opens these kind of doors. You know, to put it to good causes for me too. Like I. Grew grew up in community centers like yeah. I grew up training at a community yeah. centers and they provided a platform for us like where you barely had to pay anything just to be able to work on what you wanted to do and so this is a great opportunity to raise money for something special well and when you talk about being able to make an impact do you kind of realize as your stature goes up and as you do different things that you're capable of of reaching more people and actually making a difference yeah uh, yes and no I think like <laughs> I definitely know objectively that like I do have a bigger platform now than before but still in my head I'm still like Philip Kim I'm still the kid that like right. just loves to break and so it's a weird balance of like understanding that but at the same time like feeling like I, I honestly I feel like I'm in a movie sometimes and I feel like I'm it's not real right like, I feel like this is all a big joke that 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 I'm just kind of <laughs> in, in, in a good way you know right. I'm living yeah, a dream yeah. this is like more than I've ever wanted um, but yeah it's I understand that it's a big platform but at the same time I'm like is this really a thing like right yeah I, I feel like you know that during those two weeks in the Olympics like there's always one sport and it's usually a new sport that kind of like captures the the imagination of the audience in recent winter olympics it was ski cross or snow cross yeah, yeah, yeah. and like breaking could be that this summer yeah hopefully honestly like for me going into the olympics my goal is for more people to see it for people right. to fall in love with this is what i've spent my life doing and i want this i want breaking to grow so i just want more people to see it so if that's the case i would love that for uh, phil uh we really appreciate your time uh all the best going into to paris this summer thank you very much i appreciate the time as well uh that is uh phil kim known as uh phil wizard on uh instagram and you can check out his work uh is going to be competing for canada at the upcoming olympics as a breaking uh in the breaking event which is break dancing break dancing yeah essentially it's called breaking and uh they will be break dancing they got cooler names for it nowadays i guess so it's like remember um, before it used to call it disco dancing yeah it just says you go to you know nobody calls it go anymore the disco <laughs> nobody calls it that anymore yeah. uh i cannot break dance definitely not yeah definitely not 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 my, not my thing i i i blow my knee out <laughs> if that happened i could do the tarantella that's pretty and, much it and know? for those asking it's like how, what's going on why are we talking about breakdancing we're, we're at the jcc event here yes and it's for a good cause and he's one of the athletes participating so um that that's why we're here to help provide a bit more publicity for this great event uh john mcenroe is the guest speaker here tonight uh, he was unable to join us he's doing jo john mcenroe things i guess um probably yelling at an umpire somewhere uh is <laughs> what i would guess john mcenroe is probably is, is, is he is he yelling at say uh like the security or something yes. like who's he yelling at like who what would, the, what would be the equivalent of an official at an event like this is it the organizers or security yeah it's probably like probably organizers? security like is it security uh, <laughs> probably organizers don't you know who i am yeah. you're not letting me in i'm john mcenroe um, we'll see if we can get John McEnroe before we get out. So, 
a lot of reaction coming in on our Dunbar Lumber text message inbox, of course, to Elias Patterson. It is the biggest story developing right now around the Vancouver Canucks, and I say developing because we haven't really got much of an update after Frank Saravalli sent out a tweet saying that Pedersen and the Canucks are working on an eight-year deal. It should be over the next coming days that we hear more about this. If an NHL insider is to report this, and he does say that it's not done yet, and there are still areas where they could hit stumbling blocks. Of course. But I would imagine if you get to this point and you're reporting this, if it were me, I would say that you have a pretty good idea that the framework of the deal is set up. Yeah. And you're sort of ironing out the finer details, i.e., how much signing bonus money is going to be figured out in this deal? Honestly, I think what you just talked about, signing bonus money, protect, and I even th- I think the protection stuff it's is pretty much a standard. No, like move no move clause throughout the contract, NTC, all that stuff, right? It's really negotiating the bonus structure. I, th- I think is the biggest point. I, I, if this happened and it happened pretty quickly, I think a big a main reason it happened was there was a quick there was a there was a quick uh, there was a quick moment of <laughs> there was one of those things where it was a. <laughs> It was a quick moment where it, it was a – got distracted here for a second. Yes. My apologies. Uh, what were we talking about? Pedersen and bonus structure. Bonus, yeah. So, the, yeah, I think the biggest thing is the bonus structure, right? So, the, the thing with Pedersen and his bonus structure, I think if you made a phone call here, it's pretty quickly you figure out, okay, it's, is it going to be 11, 12? I think the AAV is pretty easy to figure out. I think the biggest thing for them to figure, figure out is, okay, what does the structure look like? And that can take a couple of days, and there could be finer details in a contract, too, about times of payment. One of the things that is really creative, I think, for these contracts is what time does a bonus structure kick in? When do you get paid your money? How does it get paid, right? Yeah. And those things sometimes take a bit of a while to leverage out. But I do think it's probably not a long conversation. Does he want to stay? Yes. What are we looking at? Total money? We agree? Yes. Okay, now we hammer out the rest. So it could have been as as simple as they made a lot of progress this morning. And, you know, if you look at how the Canucks have reacted, I know people point to the Maple Leafs and, uh, look, the Maple Leafs are, uh, their cash flow is unreal because they give everybody maximum signing bonus. Yeah. Like Austin Matthews' average average salary is like a million bucks through the course of his deal. Everything else is paid pretty much in signing bonus. It was the same for John Tavares when when he signed. For the Canucks, um, JT Miller, I think, got over $8 million, $8.5 million on his signing bonus this past year. But generally, they haven't been a team that gives out a ton of signing bonus money. Myers got a lot of signing bonus money. Yeah. In, in his deal, which made it virtually unbuyoutable. Same for Louis Erickson. Uh, but the most, the recent big contract the Canucks have given out, JT Miller, he got a lot of signing bonus money this year. He's going to get $5 million over the next couple of years. So uh, ownership has doled it out when the situation has arose. And for a player like Elias Pettersson, they get to... Uh, generally get to call their shots on these types of things more or less right and i think the structure would be significantly more than what jt miller got yeah like he got a lot of bonus you know signing bonus money would be more for a player like leas patterson and also how you figure out the aavs 
how much you're paying in one year versus another year and how you structure that stuff out, right? Versus, you know, are, are they going to look at maybe front-loading it as much as you can? Now, you can't front-load like you did in the past in the NHL. There are, there's only so many escalators year to year that you can go yeah. up with. But do you want to front-load a lot of the money or do you want to spread out? Like, how do you want to go about these things? And those are the details that sometimes take a bit longer to hammer out, right? So we're hopeful that they're actually very close here, like Frank mentioned, and that they've figured out the big part, and it's figuring out the little things. And if that's the case, it shouldn't be too long before we hear some more news in the next couple of days. Um, got a couple of texts coming in. Uh, send in your thoughts on Elias Pettersson. Uh, convinced that progress being made on Pettersson contract is because the Canucks are about to pull a huge move for Gensel. I believe they want to know the money available and PD's future before they pull a sign and trade with Pittsburgh. Uh, I know, you know, we talked about it yesterday with Earth. Talked, uh, heard from Dolly Wall today on uh, uh, the crossover, they call it, on uh, Canucks Sock with Drance and, and Jamie that the Canucks are in on, on Gensel. It still feels like uh, a deal that might be too big for the Canucks to yeah. pull off. Uh, I mean, yes not and that no. It is, it, like, not that it is, but it, I don't know. It just feels like a lot. Let After me, getting Lindholm, it feels like a lot. Let me put it to you this way. I think it's a lot if you're expecting them to sign Pedersen, Lindholm, and Gensel to an extension. Mm-hmm. But what if you trade for both and keep Gensel and Lindholm's your rental? Right. Like, I, I, I'm not putting it out of the realm of possibility here. Yeah. That's, that's all I'm saying. Like, I think the Canucks are aggressive enough here in trying to add a significant player, and I think they're involved enough in the Gensel disc- yep. talk that you can't dismiss them doing it. It does feel like Gensel would fit better long-term than Lindholm would. Because you can't pay Lindholm $8 million bucks and have him play third-line center. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. $8 million, yes. But, I mean... I, I think that the notion of him being a third-line center is a bit overblown. He played 17:35 last night. Yeah. Yeah. That's you fair. know, and, and I think in, in certain games we'll probably play some more minutes. Like five-on-five, five, your top three lines probably play pretty similar minutes. Like even we saw with Bluger and Garland and those guys, like they weren't playing significantly fewer minutes than the top six were. A little bit, but not significantly more. And his usage rate, if he plays on power play and also PK and, you know, big moments, I think you can still use him in, enough. But I do agree. If you're paying him $8 million, you know, that's one of the yeah. things. Whereas with Gensel, he could be a running mate for Elias Patterson for a long time. Uh, this text, unsigned. I'm terrified by this news. I just don't see the window remaining open for four years with Patterson at $12.5 million. We don't even know what the number is going to be. Let's see what the number is going to be. Yeah. And I think when you look at the cap going up over the next couple of years and, you know, how the Canucks have a lot of their contracts structured, I, th- I don't think it's that big of a deal, to be honest. I think we'll look at this in a few years with the cap going up and not being nearly as concerned about the fact that he's getting paid $12 million or whatever it is he's signing for. Well, the um, one of the benefits right now of the Canucks cap picture is they don't really have a ton of bad money on, on the books right now. Right? They were able to move off of uh, Andre Kuzmenko, um, it's really Mikheyev. Mikheyev right now at four and a half million is a bit of an eyesore, or four four seven five, sorry. But again, like Mikheyev isn't untradeable to me. I feel no. like Mikheyev's reputation around the league isn't as an offensive guy. Understanding of he had a major knee surgery last year. Yeah. So 
I think there's guys out there, teams out there that would say, you know, McKayev could be pretty good for us over the next two years if we were to be able to get him for a cheap sort of trade out of Vancouver. Uh, would it get you a huge trade haul? Obviously not. But I don't think Ilya Mikheyev would be untradeable. Connor Garland has increased his trade value with the way that he's played this year. He's probably not a guy that is as difficult to move off of should you have wanted to yeah. as he was last summer. Same goes for Brock Besser. So with the Canucks playing a lot better, obviously there's a, a different shine on some of their players that may have been expendable in the past but hard to move because of just how poor the situation was around the Canucks. Well, and the Canucks also have to make decisions on Connor Garland in the offseason. Are they keeping him? Perhaps they will with how yeah. he's played. But even Besser, Besser will be a year out from unrestricted. Well, that's the big one. He has one year left. And you can probably sign Gensel if you trade for him. You can't sign Gensel and Besser. No. You can do one of those guys. You can't do both guys. So is it conceivable that they make the trade? Let's say they do, right? But this is all hypothetically speaking. You go and acquire Jake Gensel, and then you can trade Besser in the offseason if you wanted to. Yeah, And listen, we're, we're getting into too much talk about what can happen in the offseason versus now and, and certain different things. But just to answer the question about can you make it work with a guy getting paid $12, $12.5 million, I think you can. And I think you look at the, this roster here right now, there are a lot of different ways that you can kind of go about things. Uh, Silver and Black, Canuck, not so concerned about the cap because elite players will command elite money, and that's the nature of doing business. My question for you guys is what do you think it will have in terms of no movement or no trade clause? I would imagine oh, yeah. a, a player like Pedersen would get a, a full no-move clause, uh, if not for the full eight years of the deal, probably the first six years of the deal, and then maybe it shrinks to a modified no-trade. No, I, I'd it's say probably it's, all eight years. I think it's all eight years. Guys like him get all eight years, and he's only going to be 33 if he signs a contract. If he he's, signs an eight-year deal, he'll it'll end by his age 33 season. Yeah, yeah. It's not even that that old. Like, you no. know, JT right now is going to be 31 next year, and look how good he looks. Yeah. I, I don't think anybody's expecting JT to fall off a cliff the next year or two. The question around JT is going to be year six, seven of that contract, maybe year five when he's, you know, 35, 36. Then you kind of wonder what is his body, what is his you know, production going to look like. You're talking about Pedersen hitting the, the, the back end of that at like 31, 32, 33, and I think that's, that's far less cause for concern for me. Um, on Patterson, uh, you know, I um, this is a massive deal for the Canucks. It would be the biggest contract they'd signed basically since the Luongo deal. It's almost twice as big. It would be not not nearly twice as big as Luongo's deal, but not that far off. Yeah, in terms of total money. Yeah, and it's it's going to be in the range of a hundred million dollars. I would hazard a guess it's between 90 and $100 million if it is an eight-year term, as is being reported by Frank Saravalli. Um, it's, it's a really big ticket. And I know how the reaction is going to be. I've seen the reaction on our text box over the last couple of weeks with Pedersen not playing at his best. And realistically, I just, I'd rather pay... $12 million to Elias Patterson, then get three guys in the $4 million range. Because I, I think generally, without a question, would you rather have Beagle, Roussel, and Brandon Sutter or Elias Patterson? Thank you for making the <laughs> argument very easy for me. Because, and I, and I know, like, in theory, you think about it, it's like, well, 
why pay this guy 12 million bucks when we could play three guys a total of 12 million dollars and they probably bring more value than that one guy and the reality is with star players in the in the nhl and almost any sport really the star players give surplus value to even the 11 12 13 yeah. million dollars they're paid against the cap like is edmonton batting an eye ever at 12 and a half million bucks for Connor mcdavid no he's worth max if they wanted to give him max dan it's just more about being efficient everywhere else on the roster once you have that big ticket item at the top of your uh, of your of your deal remember remember when uh, leon Dreisaitl signed his contract yeah and he was making 8.5 million yeah, and people were like, "This is like one of the biggest overpayments in the National Hockey League." And he had like a, I think he had like a seventy-seven point season or something, or seventy-point season, making eight and a half million. They're like, "Man, what's going on with this Drysaddle contract? You can't be paying. You have a guy be the second highest paid player in the league, close to it or whatever it is, and he's getting you seventy points." And look at Leon Drysaddle now. Yeah, look at him now. And that money, which was pretty similar to Pedersen getting eleven or twelve million at the time, him getting eight point five million, look how that's aged. Yeah. It's aged brilliantly. And I'm, and I'm not saying Patterson's necessarily going to be, you know, dry saddle in that sense. But in terms of how that contract aged with the cap going up and the percentage of cap, you can't look at a $12.5 million or $12 million contract today versus what it's going to look like when the cap is 100 or $105 million. Uh, imagine Jack Hughes two years from now. Like, yeah, Jack Hughes is on one of the best contracts in the league. It's probably going to replace uh, that Nathan McKinnon deal that he was on sub $7 million until he signed his most recent deal with with the Colorado Avalanche. But think of it from an NFL perspective. Um, does it help to have a good rookie quarterback on a rookie contract and how you're able to put pieces around him? Of course it does, right? It allows you to put a better roster around that quarterback. But guess what? If that quarterback's as good as you think he's going to be and you have to give him the money, $40, $50 million a year, yeah. you'll deal with that and figure out how to build your roster out more efficiently around that guy. Kansas City Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes, they're still winning because they've got the best quarterback in the game and they've built a roster out efficiently around him and haven't had to do the San Francisco 49ers thing where, hey, we're going to play with a mediocre quarterback and try to have an uber-talented roster around him and win that way. You're still winning more often with the guy who's the best quarterback in the league than the guy you're trying to supplement his talent with a great roster around him. Yeah, and... And I know people say, well, if Pedersen's supposed to be that good, why why do you, does he need to have a high-end winger? And it's like, well, why does Sidney Crosby need to have high-end wingers for them to win Stanley Cups? Like, you still need, you know, why? that's why they went out and got Hosa. That's why they went out and got Kessel. That's why they went out and got all these types of players because you want to give your top-end guys even more help, right? But you know that even if you don't give them that help, they can give, provide you the level of production that can still keep you very competitive as a team, right? Like, they're real drivers. And I do agree that Pedersen's game so far the past couple months hasn't been at the level that we want it to be at, and we spent quite a bit of time today in the first segment uh, during the roundup talking about what the coach was saying about Pedersen, the distraction side of things, the perhaps fatigue side of things, and how he can break through this kind of malaise he's in in terms of his overall play. But none of that concerns me long-term about him. I think these are all things he's going to overcome and be better at. And hopefully the news we heard today from Frank Saravalli is only the beginning of some good news for Elias Patterson signing and staying in Vancouver. We'll have lots of developments um, as the days go by. Tomorrow, Canucks have the LA Kings in town, closing out a three-game homestand. And there will be a lot of buzz, whether it's on the station, at practice tomorrow, 
ahead of the game, after the game, on Elias Pettersson's potential new deal with the Vancouver Canucks, as reported by Frank Saravalli. Also, Chris Tanev off to the Dallas Stars. New Jersey Devils were in on that deal, retaining a little bit of salary as well. You can find the full details at sportsnet.ca. For producers Josh and Elon, intern Jag back at the station as well. My co-host Sat. I'm Dan. You've been listening to Canuck Central.